2: greetings everyone and welcome back to inside the musician's brain this is our last episode in season four episode 40 we're closing out with a bang i have an amazing guest today i need you all to get ready to get heady with the one and only daniel donato this conversation was rich super interesting this dude is a deep thinker wise beyond his years and of course a phenomenal musician He's got an awesome new record called Reflector that's on the way, coming out in early November. So stick around to learn so much more about Daniel, about the album, about everything that he's got going on. Inside the Musician's Brain is brought to you this season by Deering Banjos. I want to say a huge thank you to Deering for sponsoring the pod this year and also for just being a generally awesome, badass company. Great people. They sure do contribute a lot to our musical community and to the world in general. And I got to say that that means a lot. I can't say enough great things about everyone over there at Deering. And yes, they make phenomenal banjos. They make an amazing affordable banjo. They make great finger picks. Everything is really high quality, but that's only part of the reason why they are a great company. You got to check out Deering for all your banjo needs and a huge thanks to them for sponsoring this season of Inside the Musician's Brain. We are also brought to you today by Jono Pandolfi Designs. That's my older brother, Jono, mentioned here on the podcast quite often, especially in episode 38 with Mike Gordon. You get some good Jono Pandolfi context. He's always been a huge inspiration to me. I really mean that. And he continues to be with what he's created at his incredible dinnerware company. Check out JonoPandolfi.com, J-O-N-O-P-A-N-D-O-L-F-I.com to style out your kitchen your home with the most beautiful handmade ceramics this stuff is absolutely incredible it's in some of the most amazing restaurants all over the world and personally i just love to be inspired by it daily here at home i love having it around and i should say i have a few custom John O'Pandolfi designs itmb ceramic dishes we got itmb merch going on right now hit me up on Instagram if you want one of those. And I gotta say, shout out to our contest winners. David Can, Lynn Stewart, my man Alex from Barbosa's Barbecue right here in Denver. You gotta check them out. Really, really great stuff. And my man Andrew Ferrone, thank you all for your great reviews. Inside the Musician's Brain is also brought to you by Americana Vibes. That's the infamous String Duster's record label. We got a lot of good stuff cooking over there. And let's not forget Osiris Media. Big thanks to RJ to Matt for the mastering, to Mark for the graphics, everyone over there. They've been with me since the beginning. And I also wanna just say real quick, I'm part of a really cool fundraiser through Candade. Candade is an amazing national nonprofit that helps communities with everything from environmental issues to music and the arts. And they've got this cool thing going on called Fishing with a Musician. You can bid on a day of fishing with a bunch of great musicians, myself included, and all that money goes to Candade, and Candade does great things. So make sure you check that out. So this is, like I said, the last episode in season four. Another season is in the books, and I just can't thank you all enough for the amazing support, for all the spins, for all the feedback. It truly is 100% what allows me to keep this train rolling. And I have to say, I'm loving making this podcast as much as I ever have. It's a ton of work, but everything that goes into it is challenging and informative. And some of the conversations this season have been incredibly inspirational to me. Eye-opening, really, personally. And I've also heard from people who have said that specific things from specific episodes have really made a difference for them. And that's kind of what it's all about. So I'd love to hear that. Huge thanks also to the guests This season, I think I've heard back from more listeners about episode 33 with my man Chris Wood from the Wood Brothers more than any other. Definitely give that a spin if you haven't already. There are things that Chris shares, just his experiences, his different insights, but even more than that, his understanding of his own path through these different challenges and experiences, and ultimately, he just has a very articulate breakdown of some of the the very common challenges that confront us all, and some great advice and some great nuggets about how to move through that kind of thing. And I have to say, today's interview with Daniel Donato is right up there in terms of these sorts of discussions, which I love to get into discussions about just kind of what's underneath it all, about presence, about understanding ourselves about the journey, about all these important things, and and all these conversations are great. There were, there were so many. They were, they were all cool this season. Lindsay Liu was so great in those areas. Of course, Mike Gordon was just about as heady as could possibly be. What more could you want? And like I said, this conversation with Daniel today that you're about to hear is right up there. Yeah, really, really cool guy, really willing to dig in and clearly has thought about Um, a lot of different aspects of his journey very deeply, and I love that. And one of the things that we get into in this talk, a theme that comes up here regularly on ITMB, and a great concept to kind of bump to the top of our awareness of our attention, and that is just how important, just how powerful our own imaginations are. And the context here with Daniel, you're going to hear him in a minute talking about how imagining his future and actually spending time immersed in that space helps him basically understand himself better and what those dreams are made of, and then subsequently helps him execute that vision. And I just love that. And we talk about it also in, in more of a momentary sense about how your imagination can kind of almost give you like a self-attitude adjustment. And, and ultimately it's just really a gateway to our true self, like I said, to understanding yourself and to the powers that we all possess, powers that most of us just forget to use or forget that we can use them. We think that, whatever, that we're different than the people we look up to, but we're not. We just got to get that imagination going, get that self-exploration, self-understanding going. And from there, it's so true that doors open and really anything becomes possible. So this is your reminder, I guess, to tune in and listen because the answers really are all out there. And the only thing that ever holds us back is our own concept of our limitations, not actual limitations, but rather our perception of them because the limitation part, see, that doesn't really exist. So let that sink in for a second. Really, it's its good stuff. And it was so fun to hear Daniel's perspective on it all. So let's jump ahead now to my interview with Daniel Donato. I should say his album does not drop until November 10th. So you won't hear as many musical examples in this interview since most of the songs are still unreleased. So let's cruise into this interview with a good chunk of one of the tracks from the upcoming Daniel Donato record Reflector. This one's called High Country. Here we go. Okay, we're here on Inside the Musician's Brain, and my guest today is an unbelievable guitar player, singer, songwriter with a killer new record on the way. Very hot, up-and-coming artist Daniel Donata. Welcome to the podcast, man.
0: Hey, Chris. Thank you for the kind words, and thank you for the notion of of having me here today on your podcast. I've been listening to it, I think, maybe two years now.
2: Well, I'd love to hear that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll go away from it every now and then once you start stockpiling episodes up. And then when we have one of those, you know, 13 hour drive days, I always turn a few episodes on.
2: <laughs> well, I love to hear that. And I'm so glad to get you here on the pod because, man, I've, I'm a fan and I've I've loved checking your stuff out. Obviously, you, you played right before us at Blue Ox this summer, so I got to see uh. the set. Um, and I've been watching some stuff on YouTube, but I've also been listening to Reflector, which is coming November tenth. There's a couple singles already out on Spotify, and this is a tremendous record, man! Congratulations.
0: Thank you very much. That means a lot coming from you.
2: Yeah, and you know, there's there's a lot to it, and I think people are just yeah. getting to know you as an artist. A lot of yeah. people, because you know, you you do have a few records out there, but I feel like yeah. this new one is a coming out party with the way that your career has evolved and COVID kind of coming on the heels of you stepping out as an artist, well, now it's, it's like, it feels like this is the moment and this is the album and, um, it's, it's, it's an exciting time, man. So congratulations. And I want to learn a little bit more about this record from you because it's interesting as I was listening and checking everything out, this album really brings together this awesome and unique fusion of sounds and sort of your musical concept, but it's bigger than a concept record. It's more like a concept that kind of guides your whole sound, your ethos, your shows. And that's this whole cosmic country thing. And I wanted you to just take us inside that, man. Where did that term come from? And you know how did your journey get rolling and unfold as a musician to kind of get you to where you're at now?
0: Um, man, that's, there's a lot going on. There's probably years of experiential information that goes into those answers. I think Cosmic Country kind of was born, at least the way that I arrived at it in my life was, was through my imagination. <clears throat> um, I first discovered country music when I was 14 at Roberts Western World with the Don Kelly band. And that was a four piece honky tonk band that played live and they improvised and they served songs. Everybody in the band sang and everybody um, brought 25% of the sound uh, to the experience. And it was an upright bass. It was a twangy reverb Telecaster through a Fender amp and it was three chords in the truth. And that really just sparked a part of my personality and motion for me. <clears throat> and then I I after discovering that band I, I I played with that band eventually after going to see them every week for three years and then I ended up getting a lot of work in Nashville as a session guitarist and uh, hired gun in people's bands and I was also writing songs for publishing houses and stuff and I I went through this period of my life where I kind of felt like I didn't belong in the city because my natural fruits of my imagination aren't not are not exactly like popular lifestyle country pieces but i loved country music uh i love 50s 40s 60s 70s 80s and 90s country immensely and so when it came time in my in the trip of my life to go out and start building outside of nashville on the stage i was asking myself well what kind of country does Daniel do if he doesn't do radio popular country? And the answer came through cosmic country. I was like, well, that's what I, that's how I view things. Um, and then as I've been doing that now for five years, I, I kind of see that that concept is, is a uh, it's a whole approach to, to the trip as, as it as an entirety.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. And, and, and reflector is um, definitely a fruit from that.
2: Yeah. It really comes through because I hear the elements of, you know, the, the elements of the sound. Like to me, when I, when I think of the cosmic country thing, it's like the best tonal elements and grooves from country music, you know, like a lot of the really classic things that you love about, that good country and, mm-hmm. and and also the tele vocab, which is so huge, and all of that is taken and sort of recontextualized in this more experimental psychedelic setting. And you hear some of that on your earlier records. You know, there's there's moments where you guys stretch out and you mm-hmm. take on, like I said, the more sort of experimental side of things. Mm-hmm. But on Reflector, I feel like it all really comes together from a vision standpoint. You know, and and it's and it's like I hear this almost sort of Cruising kind of like California sound, you know? Um, and and then all these things come together, but it's it's such a vision well-executed. And for those of you who don't know, Daniel's referencing Robert's Western world, which is like, yeah. you know, Nashville is such a different thing now. And when I moved there in 2004 when it was sort of a heyday. You know, it was kind of oh, like yeah. relatively undiscovered, but if you wanted to hear good music, you went down to these bars on Broadway and heard... Unbelievable musicians, you know, cut from many different claws. But this is like kind of a big deal, you know. And when when you see that thrown into your bio, it's like I don't want people to take that lightly. Like that's a real proving ground of country music.
0: I don't either, because Roberts really is is, is when when you think of what Nashville was, it, Roberts is a time and space article of of that uh, spirit. Yes. It is it is that place. And uh I mean that's Roberts is where Willie Nelson bought trigger in that room in that building. Yeah. So and, and that is where the first inceptions of the pedal steel guitar were also invented. Because it used to be the showbud Pedal Steel Guitar Factory, which is where Willie bought trigger. And now it's kind of the last place on Broadway. In more or less Nashville, given the tenure that Roberts has, just as a whole, it's kind of the last place that has remained unchanged and untouched by the, the by the commercial offerings of the growth of the city on a cultural level. I
2: haven't been there in a while, so you're saying it it's maintained a lot of. Oh. The mystique. Okay, awesome. I love to hear that because the city has changed immeasurably.
0: A Budweiser is still three dollars. <laughs> a you good know?
2: measure of where it's at. <laughs> the city
0: has changed, and I, you know, I started going down on Broadway when I was in two thousand nine, and and um, I started busking on the street there, and then you know, I was gigging down there for you know six years, and by the time I got out of there as a full time occupant, as a performer down there, it was a completely different trip than what it was when it started. Just like literally completely. Yeah. Um all of the buildings are are, are now three story concert venues that start right. at ten A. M. and end at three A. M. and they go all day and it's just different now, and but Roberts isn't and I, I kind of had this endowment of of, uh, of a chance to get in there and and that was the the, the start of of um, my discovery of music and my personality and imagination with music yeah uh, yeah
2: yeah so it's so cool and it's it's a great testament to the fact that and a theme that you hear a lot here on inside the musicians brand you know it's that ten thousand hours thing you're down there you play like close to 500 shows before you even step out to do your thing. And that is a musical education for the ages. You know, the, the songs, the vibe, the musicians that you were able to play with, you know, so you got all that going on. So where does the experimental kind of psychedelic, more Jerry Garcia influence side of things come from?
0: Um. In a uh, in, in just being turned on to that whole trip conceptually, that happened when I was eighteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, and my my u s. history teacher gave me his entire uh, bootleg collection of of Grateful Dead tapes and Grateful Dead Universe related recordings. Um, so it was like three binders full of CDs. It was over two hundred <laughs> CDs. It. And I used to live about an hour south of Nashville. And in, on the days that I would be driving into town after school to go play gigs, I would just turn on those CDs. And I started getting turned on to the idea that you could stretch songs in a way that was meaningful and not really like masturbatorial, but in a way that was actually storytelling outside of the vehicle of words, but through the vehicle of frequency and intention um, with with notes. And uh, that I was just always turned on to. I mean, from the second that I heard Pembroke Pines' uh, Dix Picks, I was turned on to it. I just knew that that was something that I found a home in. And what was interesting about the Grateful Dead's catalog is they were already, when I discovered them, they had on their live recordings, you know, Johnny Cash songs and Merle Haggard songs and Marty Robbins songs on their electric stuff and then on their bluegrass Uh, acoustic songs they were doing, they were doing gospel songs that I was familiar with, and they were doing um, uh, Charlie Monroe songs that I was already familiar with just through my uh, service down at Roberts and working there and learning all the music that was um, necessary to be able to play in that place. Um, So I was already turned on to all those things and I was getting to hear a band take those songs and stretch them out and bring new life to them. So that always struck me. It was like, how do you take a country song that's two minutes and 30 seconds and make it seven minutes and 20 seconds? And, and why is it just as interesting? You know, th- there's something that that I was seeking there and it was leading me towards that band. And then um, I, I would say the whole, uh, any psychedelic influence that I, I had uh, ever experienced started after I was uh, fired from Roberts and I was... Uh, I found myself going out on the road and touring with bands. Okay. Um, and, and that's when that experience, uh, multiple times ended up, uh, coming into my life. And, uh, just like anything that's real, there's both good and bad things about
2: that. You know? Okay. What do you mean by that?
0: Although, uh, like, you know, the psychedelic experience, like I, I don't really subscribe to the idea that it turns everybody on. Okay. Uh, to the to um to the enduring spiritual realities of of what the universe has to offer um, you know now that I've been uh, now that I'm a little bit older I've met a lot of you know I meet a lot of people uh, that uh, are musicians or aren't musicians that are at shows and um you know I, I meet a lot of people that take psychedelics that are still missing the point I think hmm. uh, so I don't think it's the thing that turns everybody on and or you know. I, I, but if it, if you do have the on a Myers Briggs level, you do have the personality type where you're um, you're excitable and you're open minded and you're creative and you're a seeking person, then it might be a good vehicle for you. But now it might I I don't I don't really I don't think it's the I don't give it as much uh, divine equity as I did when I was twenty one. Interesting.
2: 22. Yeah. Some in some circles it's viewed as a doorway to something, but it is. the yeah. reality is that there are many, many versions of that. And in that one world, it's heralded as this unique thing that does a thing that maybe only it can do. And, and I think what I hear you saying is that a lot of people use it for a distraction, but there are so many ways even just breathing or, or trying to be present in a given moment that can open that kick open that same door that psychedelics or, like I say, many other things can do that give you a glimpse into something that's deeper than what we just see before us.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, you know, inside the musician's brain, um, you know, inside any temporal being that is an evolutionary creature of space and time, indwelling within the brain is the, is the supreme. I, and uh, the psychedelics can be a external vehicle that can be used to take your conscious attention and, and apply reverence to the supreme, um, but it's, it doesn't work that way for everybody. And um, I, I find that to be a really positive uh, piece of data that I've been able to collect in my time. Because I was kind of confused for a second, where it was like, "Well, what about the people that don't take psychedelics? How do they arrive at these beautiful (laughs) creations of art?" You know, like Kandinsky wasn't taking psychedelics, and you know his art is immensely beautiful. And um, in between here and there, you know what I'm saying? In between the in the material and the uh, spiritual realms, Um, you know, I I think it's really what's inside our brains uh, that. Deserves a lot of the credit and for a certain kind of a person, the psychedelics can do it and trust me, they have helped me in a great way, but it's not really anything that I apply a lot of reverence to. <clears throat> I do think, you know, they probably should be legal. <laughs> so I, like them. I like them that much.
2: Uh, you know, what do you feel like you focus your attention and awareness on? Like, for example, in your practice, you know, or yeah. or in your approach to performance, what? Do you focus on these days that you feel like helps deliver you to that heightened awareness of, you know, whether it's being really present in the moment, being connected to everything? What do you what do you feel like is getting you there these days?
0: Um, well, I feel like in my head, and I I see this in a lot of other people's I see this in everybody I meet, if I'm being honest, I, I feel like I have I almost have like a, uh. It's almost like this like it's almost like there's like a a phone in my head that is like a a thought adjuster of some kind. Okay. And um it is a it is a vehicle that allows you to translate what the other uh party on the phone is is saying. Um and I feel like what the party on the other side of the phone wants me to do is to try to seek, to try to seek the truth and to play with the truth. Um, so I'm, I, that is kind of my mantra these days: is that when I'm not playing with the truth on stage, I'm seeking the truth off stage, um, and, and that's kind of the, the trip there. And I, I feel. You know, truth, beauty, and goodness are, are, are the main ideals that I'm always trying to grow with and bring into reality. And um, I use my faith, and I use grace, and I use my imagination and my persistence and my work ethic to try to render those things into space and time. Because those ideals are enduring and are spiritually eternal, and they inform these fleeting shadows of material reality and I think that's a pretty obvious thing it, it, at least to me um so that that's kind of what what what, what uh pushes me now is i, I kind of feel like i have this this uh thought adjuster that i can almost like uh, evolve and grow with in this uh like personality ascension which i feel like what life ultimately is because you know when you die they they can study now, like Andrew Huberman talks about, like when, when you die on the physical side of things, like from the start of your life to the end of your life, on all physical fronts, everything starts to go downhill because you eventually die. Mm-hmm. You know, your blood, your oxygen levels, all that stuff, you know, chemicals, everything, it, 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 it goes down. But the personality never stops growing. So it, it never stops changing and it never stops ascending. It never stops becoming more actualized. So that tells me that the personality is a vehicle that has an eternal destiny of some kind. Um, and, and, and so I'm using my personality to try to bring in those, through the vehicle of music, I'm trying to bring in those values into time. Yeah.
2: Okay. That was, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. <laughs> there's well, a that, lot that, there. Yeah, there's
0: a lot. Yeah, the, yeah. I love
2: this. This is great. But I want to try to just understand this idea of the translator. Because yeah. There's something very cool there, and I think it points to the fact that if you pay really close attention to what's around you, it's all out there. It's all around you, and you we're a part of it. But, oh, yeah. But so much of what we experience in in life and The Matrix just sort of covers that up from like such an early age. And then you have to somehow hone this like what i think you're referring to as the translator to understand and connect with and sort of see the outside world is it something like that
0: it's I feel like it's there it's installed in it it's it's i feel like it's infused upon energy where bodies are electrochemical beings that have beginnings and ends but when you are born you have a personality that nobody else has ever had that will create a reality and a life that nobody else has ever lived or will ever live. Um, and so I can't help but think of it as this kind of weird duality where if everybody is subjectively different and we arrive at these transpersonal truths such as the you know the golden rules, et cetera, mm-hmm. then there must be an objectively correct cosmic source in which that w- we have a connection to. Mm. Whether you think you have a responsibility to that source is up to you. Whether you think you should have reverence for that source is up to you. How you want to integrate the frequencies and directions from that source or interpret them is entirely up to you because you have free will to create your space and time life in whatever manner you see fit. And the way that you ever see anything fit to your life is through the specific subjective disposition of your personality. And so that to me is what the adjuster is is doing for me. It, it It's kind of giving me uh, direction from the objective on how to most specifically actualize my subjective experience.
2: Okay, I'm with you. And how does that square with kind of the self idea? And I know, because I hear about this from a lot of musicians and I know I've experienced some of it. It's, it, it's almost like you do have to work at kind of, Transcending this self thing and this me, this I, but how does how does that square with what you're referring to as a, your personality? I'm curious what you think about that.
0: So, are you referring to the self in like a Jungian sense?
2: Um, in just in terms of or like you know, it, a, ba- a basic idea of you know your your ego and your feelings okay. of s- self-preservation and okay, so more
0: like a primitive religion yeah. sense of like I don't want to die
2: okay right yeah, what's sure. my
0: ego like that that kind of stuff like
2: yeah and then you form this image of yourself and yeah and and then ultimately i think like you say people who are seekers and who ask a lot of these questions we we go through life and we try and we try and put these things together in a meaningful way because you know you you do have a Life here, and we are going to get off this interview, and I do have to go to the store later, and all these sorts of things, (laughs) right? Yeah, but there's also a much, much deeper, more powerful thing at play that is also here inside of me in some way. But I'm just curious, I hear you using the the idea of a personality, and I think Mm -hmm. that that's interesting. And I'm just sort of wondering, you know, where that fits in to you.
0: Where does personality fit into, or like, how do I, how do I work with the self and the ego in regards to these concepts?
2: Yeah. And, yeah. and just what is that, what is that personality? Is that, you know, because you refer to it as something that's uniquely you. And no. I love that. And I believe in that. We really, we do all have, we are something, you know, and, and, but it's, it can be hard to understand those concepts together.
0: I became really interested in personality about three years ago. And because um, I was really, I was seeing during the COVID, the initial stages of COVID-19 on a medical level and then also on a social, sociological, theological level. Um, I was seeing that everybody kind of had their own take on what was this objective thing. Everybody had had a subjective opinion based on an objective idea, <laughs> you know? And whether mm-hmm. it was good, bad, or in the middle, which makes it real... I noticed everybody was looking at this thing in their own way, Um, and so I started diving into personality a a little bit more. And I, um, you know, I did some personality tests, and I, you know, I had my family take a personality test, and we were all different people. You know, Um, my specific personality um, led me to music, and I'm really grateful for that because it worked out. It works out and worked out and is working out in in a way that is very harmonious oh, for me. and It's very good. Like music's a perfect thing for me. And it, it was something that I think I'd always been seeking until it found me. And then, you know, I was just locked in forever. You know, I remember the first time I played on stage when I was 14, I, I got off and I, I just knew on a level that transcended linear logic That that was what I was to do. That was the business that was set forth for me to go and do the bidding for, uh, for my life. And uh, you know, I feel I feel proud of that. Um, So you know, I I I find that when it comes to the ego, I I think that's kind of part of this duality that we have here. Like it seems like you know, in like if you like in the Kabbalion, the principle of correspondence, you know, as above, so below in for in order for anything to exist in this evolutionary realm of of space and time there needs to be a duality uh that's like part of the tax for it to exist in a real way here there needs to be a duality to it and so you know the ego is kind of representative to me of like the the changing state-based thing that we are and my personality was kind of just always there um And the way that the personality interacts with the ego creates all these states of anger, states of happiness, uh, you know, exorbitance, uh, depression, um, anxiety, uh, dreamlike charisma, um, improvisational persistence and seekingness.
2: you know, all of these things. Well, I think I'm with you. I'm hearing it. It's almost like you're describing it more akin to like your true nature, like something that's always been there. It's it's there and. It gets covered up, whereas, like, the ego is always sort of, like, tagging along with you and evolving, and you're learning how to, like, work with it. But it's not what you essentially are.
0: No. And that's why I really love the idea of render unto Caesar's that, that which is Caesar's and render unto God's that which is God's. You know, because the Caesar essentially is a metaphor for the temporal, and the God is a metaphor for the eternal. And, you know, nobody knows what that word means. Everybody has an idea on what that right. word means. As far as I know, and what I feel, I feel God is perhaps a, it's a word symbol that designates all personification of deity. Uh, and deity is also approximating something that which is divine. And so when I look in my mother's eyes and I feel the oxytosis, dopaminergic reaction of love and e- 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 eternal service, that feels divine to me. And when I look out into a crowd and I bend from the 15th fret to the 17th fret on the B string and the (laughs) lights go off and everybody goes, whoa, that feels divine to me. And when I look out the window in the morning and I see the the leaves falling onto the ground, I, as a human, using my meaning-based seeking mind, find poetic nature in that. And then all of a sudden the sound of silence starts playing in my head and that feels divine to me. So... The personification of all things divine is kind of happening, and I'm witnessing it at all times. So I don't really know where God begins or ends, which tells me that it's something eternal, getting back to the render unto gods that which is God's and that which is unto Caesar's. So I kind of keep the Caesar-God duality thing alive in my mind all the time. And so with the ego, um, you know, as a touring musician, you know, you have to satiate the temporal in a real way. Like, you can't get fucked up every night and be on a seven-night run. You know, with six shows, because, you know, otherwise the temporal vessel that you're using to like kind of bring in these like eternal frequencies into the world, you're going to screw that thing up and it's not going to work. Yeah. So you got to render properly, you know?
2: Sure. Yeah. I love that. We'll get right back to my interview with Daniel Donato after this quick break.
0: this is the story of whitney houston this is the story of kurt cobain of george michael of otis Redding. of amy winehouse of michael hutchins bob marley this is the story of prince it's a new podcast series about how they died why they died and why we're still talking about them so long after It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app
2: and subscribe now. So, tell me, what what's challenging for you about this trip when it comes to the music? I mean, whether it's specifically musical things or if if it's things that music opens a door for you to see. Like what are what are some of the challenges of this trip that you feel like you've, you know, you've really had to focus on in recent years?
0: Uh, there's a, that's a great question, brother. Uh, I think, you know, on, on a societal level, I, I noticed that um, on a large scale, uh, the appreciations, the, appreciate, the appreciative nature of musicians is oftentimes asymmetrical and pretty reactionary. Um, so like, like what you know, do you, what like, do you
2: mean by that? What do you so mean like by
0: Pareto's that? curve, do you know, like Pareto's curve? So tell, it's like, tell me if, about if that. you have a hundred percent of a populace, 10% of that populace yields 90% for the whole populace. Okay. And then 90% of the, of the creators of that populace sh- share 10% of the success or the fruits or whatever it is. So 10% gets to keep 90 of it. And then 90% gets to share 10 of it. So that's something that I feel like given just like the structure of our society and how attention span and commerce and all that works is like, you can kind of see that there's like 10% of people that are in our world that have like 90% of the success, you know, which I like, I think there needs to be a free market of some kind. You can't have equal outcome for everybody. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that at all. I think you need equal opportunity, but definitely not equal outcome. Um, especially with music. I mean, especially with music, um, so I find that to just be a frustrating reality that I, that I encounter often, you know, um, Like uh, you know things like that. And th- I also, you know, I have a hard time um, I have a hard time uh, organizing all of my thoughts uh, with our given our, our, our touring schedule. Um, we're still in a sprinter and we're driving during the day. And, you know, it's just a lot on the body and it's a lot on the mind. So I would say the lifestyle of, of where we're at is, is not easy.
2: So what do you do to manage that? What, what do you do to, to keep yourself in good form? So that, like you say, you know, the, the temporal vessel can do its job and, and you're able to, you know, tune into this higher frequency. What do you do to take care of yourself when you're on the road?
0: Ah. Uh, I do supplementary practice, you know, like I, uh, I drink a lot of water. I, I I try not to eat too much during the day. Otherwise I'll get too tired and and things like that. And that's all vessel based practice. But I, I find the thing that, um, works best for me is I, whenever I can, I take time to just dwell in my imagination. Um, and so when I say that, I, I, would be, I wish I could hear everybody's reaction who's listening to, to what that means to them and what they think about that and if they find that to be a use of time. But um, I, you know, I think if you actually go through your back pages, you'll start to see that a lot of the things that you're doing in your life, it, it, I'll just speak to myself, a lot of the things I'm doing in my life now, I, I once imagined in a conscious state or an unconscious state. But the, the visualization of it came to me at one point in my mind. And then there was like a uh, a space and time delivery service that brought it to me five to ten years later. Um, so I just take time to dwell in my imagination. There will be times where I'm really frustrated when we're in traffic or we're going over like some shitty uh, unpaved road somewhere. And I'll just <laughs> pretend we're we're in a bus. I'll close my eyes and I'll lay down and i just pretend we're in a bus. You know? Yeah. Um um, and I also try to write songs every day. I I, I like what Trey does. I, I kind of like that New Jersey work ethic that Trey has. I always related to that because my parents were from New Jersey, and when we moved to uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee, I noticed that my household was very different than everybody else's household that was native to Tennessee. And you know, there's this kind of New Jersey thing that is just like get up and go and grind and show up for it as much as you can. And so, you know, even if we get even if we get uh, four hours of sleep at the hotel, I try to wake up at the same time every day and, and at least have some sort of a regimen because that's just what my personality likes. You know, I have friends that are very uh, you know, different with their personality that they've been endowed with, where they don't need a regimen or like anything that's like very consistent. But within the duality of chaos and order for me, I, I need some sort of a orderly, uh, scheduling of time in order to really dive into what is chaotically creative for me.
2: Okay, um, okay.
0: You know, yeah. I can't. I would love to have a bus and us uh, have, you know, like a room on there where we can have like an interface set up and, 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 and go and kind of have like a... a a, um, a paradisal center for creation, but, you know, and, you know, I'm grateful for everything that's happening. And, you know, I don't look at anything that's challenging as something that's happening to me, but rather something that is a learning experience that I've created, that I have an opportunity to learn from.
2: That's I love that. That's a great answer. Speaks to the idea that, and it's so true that every time adversity is upon you, viewed through a different light, it's the best opportunity you could ever have. And, you know, there's a shift there. It takes time to embrace that and a lot of practice to embrace that on like a day-to-day level where the little things don't throw you off. But it's the truest thing ever. And what you just said a moment ago, I love. You know, you're like, I spend time immersed in my imagination. And you're saying, and I don't know what how that sounds to other people, but I'll tell you how it sounds to me. I think, Please, that's, brother. Yes. I think that's such a great practice and a great thing for people to hear who are listening to this podcast because the magic doesn't just happen. And the idea of practicing going into a space that you want to be in, the idea of visualizing what might be ahead, it's the most powerful tool. And I think oftentimes people get confused and think that it's something that separates them from someone else, when actually it's something very simple that we all have in common, the idea to conjure this space of imagination. And it doesn't have to manifest in some music career or even something that anyone else sees. It's really just a service to what's inside you and ultimately a practice. And that's, I hear back from a lot of listeners on this point the idea that like, oh, I I thought I was just, you know, they're just sort of sitting around waiting for the muse, if you will, you know, (laughs) and not realizing that it's something that you need to cultivate you know oh and, man and it's yeah. cool to hear you saying that you know it's cool to hear you say that no surprise that this is a big part of your daily regimen
0: well i i so you can kind of the, the the way that the narrative at least was when i was going to school and we were being you know quote unquote taught what we were supposed to quote unquote know and uh, supposed to learn um there's not a lot of room for imagination but if you actually right go through the back pages and you and you just do some actually uh, detailed logical linear thinking. Everything that has ever been in terms of a creation, whether tangible like the like like a like a Snuggy, like an as Seen on TV product, <laughs> or a musical recording like uh Dog on Cowboy by Marty Robbins. All of that is born from the imagination. And we don't know what the word imagination is, Mm -hmm. you know, but you use imagination for absolutely everything you do and you're imagining things all the time. Mm -hmm. So just to me, it's a matter of having a relationship with that. And that's where the, that's where that thought adjuster thing starts to really help. You know, like I'll even, when we were in uh, Colorado last week and we stayed in this terrible cheap hotel, and there was all this construction that happened at 7 in the morning uh, right outside my door. Before I even opened my eyes, my imagination was like, what would the feeling be like if I knew that we played Red Rocks last night, and we were also playing it today, and I was waking up in my hotel room? How would I be feeling right now? How would that feel? And
2: how did that feel?
0: What time would sound check be? Well, it certainly didn't stop any of the construction workers. I'll tell you that very <laughs> much. <laughs> but to me, it, it did do something for this Caesar level of myself to where I was able to kind of have a, a bit more of a of a positive and um, connected uh, approach to what I was doing with my body. Um, you know what I'm saying? So I I'm do kind know what of using saying. it. I'm using it all the time, man. I'm just trying to uh I'm just trying to listen to what is uh, what is telling, really.
2: Sure, because we can't control what happens, but we can control how we react to it. or at least we can work with how we react to it. And we can create a lot of that so-called reality ourselves, you know, with, with, with some intention. And like you say, imagination, and I feel that. you know, I think the more, it's just like anything, the more time that you can spend immersed in that zone, the more practice that you have accessing that part of yourself the more you can conjure it up at the times when you really need it
0: you've used your imagination to to conjure the life that you have now
2: i would say right of course
0: yeah so i mean you know i, I mean especially you and your band when we were able to you know i watched you guys at blue ox and it was just like wow it's like that's how you do it
2: yeah we got to get you up there to to jam on something with us the next time we're all in one, in, in one place. Actually, I got to ask. So uh, uh, Sugar Leg on the new record, that's, that's Sugarfoot Rag, right? Or, or sort of reinterpretation of Sugarfoot Rag in some way?
0: Yeah, I, I love Hank Garland and, okay. uh, and Red Foley. You know, I love that old time country in Western swing music. That was kind of jazz influenced and um, it's more or less sugar Sugarfoot Rag. We ended up after we played it So many times on stage, we ended up having our own tempo and our own chord progression and our own arrangement of it. And the melody had changed. So, and then then, then Sugar Leg, the nickname ended up happening and coming into fruition just hilariously. And then, you know, you know, I try to just like, you know, the Bible is a comedy and a drama. And the definition of what a comedy is, on some level, is that it ends well. And you know, the idea of the gospel is that it's is that you know there's good news to be had there, so it's ending well. Um, and and so I think anything that truly follows that kind of Joseph Campbell hero's journey of something that is dark light dark light and so on, there needs to be some comedy in there. There needs to be something that's funny. Um, and so that's kind of where the sugar leg thing came into into my imagination. It was like, well, how do we have a song that is deadly serious on the musical level, but is also just kind of funny in terms of its title and its story? <laughs>
2: well, I love that track, and I have to say, this is this is so great. And these are the things that I think people love to hear about. And ultimately, this type of conversation, which is absolutely about reflector in every way, maybe not in a specific sense, but it, and all the concepts and energy that went into it. But I got to say man this record just oh it's so good. And the singles that are out right now, I love high country. I love the sound of the record and yeah. you know and 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 just the the energy of it like I was saying before. I, you you actually summed up the cosmic country thing really well. Tie-dye and plaid, you know, it's like this and duality and I keep hearing you say that and it's so true. You really it's hard to grasp sometimes but you can't have one without the other there is no up without down and and I hear an amazing consistency but also these songs juxtapose with each other just beautiful work man I, I love the Thank singles you. that are out lose your mind is great but killer tracks double exposure I've listened to that one a bunch mm-hmm. of times and then uh, mm-hmm. I guess last track dance in the desert part too I mean oh yeah it's <laughs> this stuff is awesome man it's Equal parts, beautiful, and then at times like totally ferocious. But yeah, it's it's a great record, man. I can't tell you enough how much I'm digging it.
0: Thank you. That really means a lot from coming from you, Chris, because you have a lot of experience with making records and and um, y- making records in the studio, and then setting up for records to eventually happen by playing new songs on stage um, <clears throat> and being honest and critical about what can be and what will
2: be. Yeah, I'm excited um, to see where where the cosmic country journey rolls on to. And I got to ask too, like what's your impression of kind of what's going on with country music now and sort of where, you know, where on the Venn diagram you fit in and where you've been playing these last couple of years, you know, what, what scene or what sort of area do you feel like you're falling into?
0: I think, uh, I think we're falling into that same scene that is like, just truthful, beautiful, good music that, Amen. yeah, you know, um, it's like when you say the word country music, I, I definitely don't like live a country lifestyle, like in terms of like what country lifestyle music is on the radio in Nashville or like what the big like hot country playlists are putting on Spotify, you know, um, those people like I, I don't have like a I don't work a a, a, a like a, a job in like a small town and I don't drive a a big truck and like I just don't like the lyrics a lot of like what is commercially driven within country music is like story based lyric stuff um in the lyrics of what like you know Luke Bryan or Jason Aldean and um uh Luke Combs or or, or stuff like that you know Uh, every now and then i'll turn that stuff on and listen to it but really not not really because i don't i don't identify with the story of that trip in my life so much but Mm -hmm. there's this era of country music where i really do where it's like merle haggard and waylon jennings and willie nelson and buck owens where it was like it was about it was about the story of your life and in going somewhere and then also the, the, the adventure of your life and the adventure of love and the adventure of happiness and all that and I remember when Sturgill Simpson put out Meta Modern Sounds and Country Music. It was the same year that Jason Isbell put out Southeastern. That was like 2000, I think it was like, well, I don't even know, maybe 2014, 2013, I think it was. Something like that. Um, that's when things started changing. That's when everything started changing. And then, so it seemed like what happened was there was like old timey sounding music that lyrically people could relate to and find parts of their life in, in their personality in, but it wasn't necessarily popular commercial country music, but it still sounded like old-timey country music. Um, and so we, we have that going for us on some level, and then we also have this thing going for us with the resurgence and revival of what's going on with the improvisational music scene. Um, you know, like Goose and Billy Strings are probably the most notable personality groups that are alive in the scene right now that have that are really doing a a big thing with scale of, of of where they're playing and their community and um so i see us fitting somewhere between those between those two realms yeah um you know but really at the end of the day any band any artist any collective of music is is really just its own frequency it's its own tv channel that you can tune into and and dig and um and there's enough room for everybody. It's a feast, not a famine.
2: I couldn't um, agree more. I love that. And yeah. I, I know for me, I just love to hear the elements of country music that I love in the hands of someone like you, reinterpreting, reimagining, and and I think you know you get extra props because it has such a convincing live component too. I mean, a lot of this a lot of this stuff nice. is great music, but then it comes onto the stage and it essentially is very similar to what's on the record. And there's no knock on that. I mean, that's what some performers do. That's like you said, it's just a different channel. It's just yeah. their concept of what they want to do. And I think a lot of fans tune into that in a great way. But then your show has this experimental and very cool kind of like every night is different come on this journey with us element that I think really, really brings a lot of people in and demands a whole other set of skills Uh, that you hone over a lot of time.
0: That was what was so great about Roberts is I was kind of being led uh, to, to already have the endurance and mindset of how to do a three to four hour show.
2: How do you do a three or four hour show? I mean, that's, I know. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs)
0: I have to think it's some sort of a spiritual force, you know?
2: And what about, what about now? Tell us, this is always a fun area to hit. Um, How does it look for you now getting ready for a show? Like in the last hour before a show, what, what are you doing to kind of get in the zone and get ready to, like I say, get on stage and go on a journey with the crowd?
0: Well, you know, from the second I get to the venue, when my guitar comes out of the bag, it doesn't leave my neck. Uh, I don't put it down unless I'm going to the restroom or I'm, I'm eating something from, uh, from catering. Uh, it doesn't leave. I'm playing the guitar. I, it, it, for however many hours I play on stage at night, I, I want to play the, I want to have a guitar with my hands on it for at least that much time. So I kind of have oh. this as above, so below equality of time investment because there's this weird thing that happens that when you go to be vulnerable and, truth reaching within your personality and you do that in front of a lot of people that can be quite an experience that is, is is overwhelming consistently no matter how many times you do it and you have the myelin sheath wrapped around your nervous system with your fingers and you're good at doing something on a technical level, there's something going on there. Um, so I want to have as much time with myself with the instrument before I take myself in the instrument and put it in front of everybody. Um, So I'm kind of playing, if we play for three hours that day, I'm going to play for at least three hours prior to the time I hit that stage. And if we're playing for 90 minutes that day or 75, I'm doing that for 75 or 90. Um, But we just finished festival season, so we're getting back into the three-hour show thing. Um, So And then the band and I, uh, we go through the set list, actually. I got this idea from Billy when he came in. um, I think we were doing an after show for him in Cleveland or was it Vermont? And, we, and he and I were talking and he was saying that an hour uh, before they go on, they spend 45 minutes in, in one of their green rooms just going through the set and kind of socializing and I guess going through their imagination on a collective level of what the trip is going to be. Um, you know, so I like to do that with my band. It, we'll, we'll sing songs together. We'll get up in a triangle and uh, look each other in the eyes and sing harmonies. You know. And
2: then in terms of the what in terms of the instrument are you are you doing certain exercises that get in the zone or are you just like okay or are you also there's got to also be some component of like I'm just connecting to the source here and feeling that and things to get your fingers warmed up and then things to get your kind of like spiritual side warmed up Yeah the
0: spiritual side we do Wim Hof breathing okay. we do uh, 12 minutes of Wim Hof uh, as often as we can before a show depending on the green rooms again we're still at this weird stage where some green rooms are <laughs> glorified janitor's closets yes. so it's hard to uh, you know we're seven people that are in the on the train with us so we sometimes don't have room to do that but i would say 90% of the time we end up getting a Wim Hof in um, that really helps yeah. to really just connect with your body and have and regulate the breathing of what's going on there that's really good and then when it comes to the instrument stuff, uh, I have non creative regimented practices that I've always done since I was 14. And then I have things that I'm learning that I've never done before that I'm always working on. Um, and so I kind of just spend time throughout the day going through those things. Okay. You know, okay, and that cool. stuff's always changing. You know, yeah. it's just a lot of right hand stuff, like um, whatever it can be. Like right now, I'm working on like these harmonics, like these Lenny Bro, Chet Atkins, like. Steve Kimock showed me that when I was in Jackson Hole recently and
2: and I should say by the way Daniel has had the guitar in hand for this entire interview for those of you who are listening <laughs> oh, yeah. in use or not it is clearly part of this man's an extension of this man's body and psyche and that comes through in the music brother I'm telling you man Thank this you. this new record is awesome and it's out November 10th there's two singles mm-hmm. out now and I Took a glance at your tour schedule and my man, it is full on through the end of the year. Yeah. So that's good. no matter where you are, you should uh take a look at Daniel Donato's schedule, tune in, and uh I I assure you that when Reflector drops on November 10th, you're gonna want to check it out. And a huge thanks to you for joining me on the pod today, man. I really appreciate it. This has been so awesome.
0: Oh man, it's just been an absolute honor. I, I can't wait to do it again sometime. You gotta come on my podcast sometime too.
2: Oh, come on, please. Let's do it. I'll um, I'll take you up on that. And I'm going to keep an eye on your schedule as well. And hopefully we'll cross paths soon. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, Daniel. All right. That's a wrap on episode 40. And that indeed is the end of another season of Inside the Musician's Brain. Season four is in the books. Huge thanks to my amazing guest today, Daniel donato the guy is a total ripper you got to check out one of his shows you got to stay tuned for his new record reflector coming november 10th of course huge thanks to all of you for listening leave us a review blah 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 you know what to do but seriously i really appreciate all the support that is what keeps me going and keeps me afloat here in the podcast stratosphere gonna take a few months off regroup chill out a little bit we got a bunch of string duster stuff going on and I'm excited to work on some new trad plus music so stay tuned for that and keep an eye on my website ChrisPandolfi.com for updates and some stuff that I'm going to be writing here in the coming months shout out to my sponsors Deering Banjos and Jono Pandolfi Designs and to Americana Vibes and Osiris Media for helping me make the podcast happen and thanks once again to all of you for tuning in I'll see you right back here in a Few months when we go back inside the musician's brain,
0: Osiris.